I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's... Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rebuilding Podcast. We are here for episode uh, seven. God, we're at episode seven now. That's crazy. I am Missy. I'm Crimson. And we are here with our guest, Rachel motherfucking Roberts. <laughs> um, let me clarify. Representative Rachel motherfucking Roberts. Rep Rob is here. I'm a Kentucky Please. Colonel, too. So I think it's uh, Representative Colonel Rachel motherfucking Roberts, just to be nitpicky. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for keeping us straight, Rachel. We're all type A's here. We really appreciate it. <laughs> so, uh, we are here today. We're going to talk about uh, what Rachel's been up to down in Frankfurt. Uh, you know, they um, she has a couple bills that we're going to go over, as well as talk about how a bill gets passed in Kentucky, uh, right. if a bill ever does get passed in Kentucky. It's kind of like a schoolhouse rock for Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, I just I naturally assumed that you would just title your bill as an abortion bill and just submit whatever the hell you want in the writing, but apparently that's not how they do it. So right, explain things to us a little bit further. Why don't you explain this to me like I am an eight-year-old? Let's start at the beginning. So Rachel, how yes. does a bill get introduced? I'm going to give you an example of how one of the bills that I put forward this year came to be. So um, House Bill 81 is a bill that I have going. It's a simple little bill that says that um, due to the power dynamics at hand, no one who is in custody um, can, or detained by a police officer can consent to sexual intercourse or activity. Uh, this is an add-on to another bill that we have already passed or another law that already exists in Kentucky that says that no one who is incarcerated can consent to sex. Now, I didn't really know much about this until a constituent reached out to me and sent me a couple articles about a case actually out of New York State um, where a woman was repeatedly raped by a couple of plainclothes officers. Um, and when it came time for her to press charges against them, the officers basically said, um, she's a sex worker. This was a transactional relationship and therefore no crime occurred. And it left her without any real recourse. So upon learning about that from a constituent, I called um, our policy people and I talked to them and I said, is this true in Kentucky that, you know, that there is this loophole and they, did the background check and the background checking and found out that indeed this was true. So then I started working with a bill drafter and we wrote what became House Bill 81. I pre-filed it this summer. So we, in the interim, we are you know, working on bills and we have the choice to kind of hold them close to our vest so that no one finds out what we're working on. Um, or what I did was I pre-filed it so that lots of people could read it and I could get input on it to make sure that it was a good bill and see if anything else needed to be added to it. So I pre-filed it. I got some more input on it. And then I you know, really started a campaign to try and reach across the aisle because I understand how things work currently. I am in a hyper minority um, and currently no democratic bills have been heard in any committee. I believe the first one just got assigned to a committee um, last Thursday, but it has, but none of our bills have been heard in committee. So I started reaching out to try and find some um, Republicans both in the house and the Senate who I could talk to about the you know, sensible nature of this bill. And so that worked. And um, I got a, what's called a companion bill. So the companion bill was read in the Senate. It was sponsored by um, Senator Denise Harper Angel and it went through judiciary and uh, passed judiciary on concurrence. So that means that it can now come over to the house um, and get a hearing in the house and then perhaps become a law. But the simplest terms is that a legislator writes a bill, the bill gets introduced on the floor it goes to the committee on committees. The committee on committees assigns it to whatever committee it thinks makes the most sense for it. It is voted through committee. If it gets voted through committee, then it comes to the House floor. We vote on it on the House floor. If it passes on the House floor, it goes to the Senate. 
If it passes in the Senate, then the governor has 10 days to either sign it or veto it. If he signs it, it becomes a law. Well, you just made that sound so easy. (laughs) (laughs) Who needs 12 years of school? We need five minutes with Rachel Roberts. That's all we need. (laughs) What are some of the big hangups when trying to get these bills through? Because you hear about super popular bills that get through like the House, but then they don't go to the Senate or maybe like hangups in committee. We're here to fuck shit up. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we live in a very partisan world right now. So the biggest hang up is what letter comes after the name of the bill sponsor. That's the first big hang up. Um, and then, you know, the House and this, I think people think that the House and the Senate work together, like we're BFFs. Um, and we're really two completely independent bodies, you know, so we don't know in the House what is happening in the Senate on any given days. A lot of times we're actually in session at the exact same time. So we can't even watch what's happening there. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll get the orders of the day, we'll see what's passed through the Senate, so on and so forth. But, you know, a bill has to go through both chambers, and they have to agree upon it. So if something comes to the House, and it goes to the Senate, and someone wants to amend it in the Senate, that adds another layer, then it has to, that amended bill has to be accepted, so on and so forth. Um, and then frankly, this year, one of the things we're up against truly is just time. It's a 30 day session and an unprecedented scenario where we also have to pass a budget. So there's only so many hours in the day, so many days in our session that we can get bills through. And there have been um, one of my bills that I filed last week is House Bill 467. So there's over 400 bills for us to try and, you know, get through this year. And there's just no way that that's that we're going to be able to get through, you know, I'd say even a quarter of those. House Bill 467. We've definitely heard of before. What's that one about? That is a simple little bill that would completely legalize recreational marijuana in the state of Kentucky because uh, this is a a missed opportunity for our state. It is a massive opportunity for us to generate revenue in the state and make no mistake, uh, cannabis is being grown in Kentucky. It is being sold in Kentucky. It is being consumed in in Kentucky, but what is not happening is that it is not regulated and it is not taxed. So uh, this bill would legalize adult use recreational cannabis. It would also expunge misdemeanor cannabis offenses And it sets up a mechanism for the oversight of any revenues collected from the sale of cannabis in Kentucky. And it earmarks some of those revenues specifically for addiction treatment services and for minority small business and education grants, while also contributing a large amount of money, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars over several years to our general fund. That is amazing. And I want to thank you for introducing it on my birthday, given it has been a passionate cause of mine for many, many years. So I will take that as an indirect birthday gift to me. So thank you. I will tell Crimson, I'm so happy that that happened. It is a happy accident. I will tell you that I was stalking trying to get this bill done in time so that I could file it and get House Bill 420. But alas, we need to make a couple last minute changes. So 467 it is. Uh, You might get farther with 467 than with 420. It may have been too cool for Republicans to sign on to if you had that cool of a name, right? Bad we just don't have them at tax income. All right. So friends that are listening uh, that live in Kentucky, you no longer will have to drive to Michigan to get your legal recreational marijuana. Because as Rachel said, we know it's being used. We know it, it and it, we know that it has benefits beyond just the fun of what people think of recreational marijuana. With a mom with a chronic illness, like multiple sclerosis and RA, her life would be changed um, by even medicinal. But why stop there? Let's go full blast for what we know what the end result should be, which is recreational marijuana. We live in an agricultural state. This is 
great for Kentucky. And thank you for representing us and many Kentuckians that have felt that this is needed for decades, literally decades. For going to recreational. I feel like we've been in like the, the medicinal hump for the, like the last 15 years. Well, I think, you know, uh, several things here. Number one, this is where the nation is going. You know, the market, the consumer market is driving this. And I think we are likely to see this happen. You know, sadly, I do. I think there's a really good chance we're going to see this happen at the federal level before we see it in the Commonwealth. Um, so what I'm really trying to do here is make sure that when that shift comes at the federal level, Kentucky is as poised as possible to take advantage of, you know, whatever piece of this pie is left. We are, Crimson, to your point, we are an agricultural state. Um, we were a tobacco state. So we have the infrastructure in place. We have the agricultural knowledge for this. We have the farmland and the farmers for this. This is a great way to bring back our farm, you know, our, our farm industry. Um, it's also a great way for us to promote entrepreneurship as far as, you know, the retail side of this will go, the um, edible side of this. There's so many different retail arms that could come from this. And you know, we are, you know, we're Kentucky, we're the bluegrass state, we are uniquely poised to not just do this, but to do this really, really well, this could absolutely be another signature product, it could be right up there with bourbon and horse racing. And we are leaving money on the table. And I feel that, you know, as a state representative, one of my biggest responsibilities is to generate revenue so that we can pay for the things our citizens need, the state needs money. And I feel that, you know, opposing this is an abdication of, of our fiscal responsibility. I absolutely agree. And that's why I'm so grateful for people like you actually standing up for this, because I think you've named a couple of things that are rarely leveraged by less nuanced representatives, which is one, even if this doesn't pass, you are building a foundation. We will have a bill and a foundation for maybe the next session or when it does have federal momentum or when the dynamics of our state house changes. We have now a bill. We have a piece of paper that outlines that's been vetted that that understands the nuances behind getting a bill like this through and how to execute it across the state. So thank you for being proactive in that matter, because it's easy when you're in a super, 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 super minority um, to be defeated. But I have been so impressed with you coming out swinging along with your colleagues um, that have come out swinging with bills that I say progressive and it sounds like in a political term, but they're progressive in a mindset of like, how do we move forward? And that is something that Kentucky has not been doing for so long of thinking about the long game. And as a mom in the, in the Commonwealth, I want my kids to stay here when they get older, but I know that if we don't progress and again, not politically, I just mean in general, I can't keep them here because business isn't going to come here. We aren't going to be able to recruit people. Even if we get businesses to come here, we have to be a holistically rounded state to get the businesses to come here and to get people to come here and to make sure my kids stay here <laughs> instead of leaving. And so many times when people point to those, you know, those enticements that would get your children to want to stay here or to get people to want to move here, um, you know, the roadblock they hit is, you know, Kentucky's a poor state. We can't afford those things right now. Well, then we have to generate revenue. Exactly. We absolutely have to generate revenue. So the people, the, the small amount of pushback I've gotten to this so far, and it has been, you know, tenfold positive emails and responses. And to be clear, I didn't take this because this was you know, something Rachel Roberts felt needed to happen. We did a lot of surveying of constituents and broadly across Kentucky and 
you show me any issue that Kentuckians are more unified on than, than, than legalizing cannabis. And I, you know, I'd be amazed. I haven't seen it. This is the one thing that crosses all political lines, all socioeconomic lines. It's a rural thing. It's an urban thing. Everybody's in it. But the few people who've written me and said they have concerns and they've told me what, you know, they think I should be focusing on, I'll say, okay, well, that's going to take revenue. So mm -hmm. my bill, I know it may not be your cup of tea, but it could generate the revenue for this issue that you absolutely care about. And, you know, that's where we are. Like we're historic horse racing and gambling have been really prevalent in the news lately. And I'll tell you personally, that's not my thing. Like I don't love casinos. I just don't like if, if that's your thing, that's fine. But if it was Rachel Roberts voting for Rachel Roberts, I, you know, I'm not a casino kind of girl, but it's not me voting for me. It's me as the voice of the 45,000 people that I represent and the 45,000 people that I represent by and large uh, are pro gaming and know that they need the revenue. So I vote for my district and my district seems pretty, pretty fond of this issue as well. No, I agree with you. I'm with you on the casino thing, but I, I feel like that is another thing that is always lacking in our dialogue, right? It's like, we always want to talk about cutting things to cut spending, but even if you run a household, you know that there's two ways that money works. It's what comes in and what goes out. I always say, I don't need to know how much money I make. I need to know what I spend, right? Like when you're looking at a job offer, you don't look and say, well, I have to, I, I have to make 200,000 because that's what I want. It's about what you spend. And so it's a two-sided equation. And I feel like we always look at what we're spending, but we never look at how we're bringing the money in. And so I think, again, that's foresight of what we need to do progressing forward to bring money into the state so that way we can overcome the barriers to all of the potential that we have in the Commonwealth. What are some ways that, uh, that, that your constituents and, and us in other districts can, can help? I mean, if... Any of the bills that I put forward, I, I mentioned the one, um, the criminal justice one, there's also a mental health bill that I'm really passionate about. But first of all, if you wanna find out about any of the bills that I am sponsoring or any of the bills that are being sponsored at all, the best place to go is to um, the LRC webpage, um, which is, I haven't pulled up right now, but- I'll, I'll really put it in our, I'll put it in the episode Thank notes, sorry. <laughs> Thank you, because otherwise it's gonna be like apps.legislative, it's gonna be very long, <laughs> but you can go there and you can, you can look up the bills in a myriad of ways. You can literally click on bills and look and see all 400 bills by number, which can be kind of a confusing way to look at them. You can look them up by title and sponsor. You can click on the legislator, like you could go look up Rachel Roberts on the legislator page and then it will, there's a link there that will show you the bills that I have sponsored. And then when you look on the, that page, You'll see, like, if you pull up my page, you're going to see dozens of bills. I haven't, I'm not the, the writer, the drafter, or the chief person on each of those bills. But if you see an asterisk next to the number, that means that I am the primary sponsor of that bill. Anything without an asterisk means that I'm a co-sponsor of it. So just know that when you go dive in here. So take a moment, you know, this, this does require activism and work on each of our parts. So go learn about the bills. If there's something you really care about, then it's time to put on your activist shoes and to start to champion for it. So let me talk a little bit about how you do that. Let's say, let me talk about my, ment my mental health bill because it's, it's a pretty clear example. So it is uh, House Bill 77, and it is a bill that says that we should have mental health parity, that people should have access to a once a year, 100% uh, covered mental health wellness check. Just like you get your annual physical, you would get a mental health checkup so that you start to, uh, you start a relationship with a mental health provider and so that we really start to normalize mental health care in the Commonwealth. If you like that bill, 
it has not been assigned to a committee yet. Um, committees that it could be assigned to that would make sense to, for it to be assigned to are banking and insurance because it will affect the insurance company or um, health and family services. So you might start looking up those committees and you might find the committee chairs and then you might write those committee chairs and say, hey, I really care about this bill. I think you should let it be heard in committee. You could also send that bill to your reg representative and tell them you really care about that bill and you would like to see your representative champion it with the committee chair. Now, all of this takes some work and it takes some knowledge. And I'll tell you, frankly, I didn't know to do much of this stuff until a few years ago when I got more and more active. So I did what most people do. You know, when Resistabot sent me something, I texted back. I signed petitions. I started petitions. But the real work of it is to let your legislators know you're aware of a bill. Here's why it matters to you. Like a personal story is amazing. Tell them that you want it to go to the next step, which is either committee or to be voted on on the floor or to be voted on in the Senate. Give them actionable items. Like, don't just say, I support this bill. Say, I support this bill and it needs to go to committee. What are you going to do about it? Help me get it there. Um, and then whenever you write your legislator, I would tell you, ask a question that you want an answer to. Because we get hundreds of emails and a lot of times they're form emails. We just frankly don't have the time to respond to all of them. We take them at mass. So if I get 200 of the same form email, then I understand that there's a, a big call for that but um, I don't have the time to respond to each of them. But if someone writes me specifically and asks me a question, at least for me, you know, I, I'm the kind of person who grew up writing thank you cards for everything. <laughs> so if you ask me a direct question, I feel compelled to write you back. So if you wanna start a dialogue, which is the real work here, make sure you ask that question. Make sure you give some personal information about yourself. Make sure you give an actionable step. I think I've always been the type like Taylor and I, my husband and I, we, we have a commitment that during the legislative session, we call every morning. And just part of our routine, it's kind of been disrupted because it used to be on our commutes to work, but now that that's not like a reality, it's a little bit different. Um, but it's hard to know if they really have an impact because of the super, 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 super majority. Um, so can you give us inspiring words to keep us going? <laughs> I'll tell you this. Um, if you pay attention to the General Assembly over several years, there are a lot of bills that were put forward by Democrats that didn't go anywhere the first year they were put forward. Oh. But a year or two later, they magically reappear with a Republican sponsor. So what I focus on is trying to write good legislation because I know that these bills are like unlikely to go through with my name attached to them, but it's not about me, it's about Kentucky. So I'm gonna write the best piece of legislation I possibly can so that two years from now, when someone picks it up on the other side and calls it their own, it is a good piece of legislation that still benefits Kentuckians down the road, whether it ever has my name attached to it or not. Imagine like Jason Nemez going through all of your bills this year, planning on what he's gonna take in 2022. No comment. Whatever works, <laughs> works. That's my comment. I mean, I think that's great because I think that's something that's lost a lot in politics. Um, and maybe this is a political science nerd to me, but bills do have to be written well, because if if you sent it and it got vetoed by the governor, which I mean, I, I don't think that would be the case with the bills that you're speaking of. But let's say that happened. The, the way that that's reconciled is the Supreme Court, right? Or the state Supreme Court. And they look at the bill and every word of it. We saw it at the national level with the ACA. Like that bill was written to be rock solid against any court 
that it had to go in front of. And we've seen it time and time and time again upheld. And it wasn't because necessarily the courts agreed with it. It was a well-written bill. And so I think you, you hit on the nail on the head of that. It's not just about the idea. It's about understanding the nuances of the idea and how to write that in a way that's going to be upheld by the court system and the other branches of government. I'll tell you one of my biggest concerns for the session this year is how fast things are moving. And with COVID, you know, understandably, there's not a lot of access to the capital for the general public, but the speed and the suspension of rules that has happened has made it so that there's almost no time for any influence from the public. So to your point, yes, I absolutely try to write the best bills I can, but the more input on them, likely the better they're going to be. Someone's going to see something or have an experience with an issue that I'm not aware of. And so that influence or that, that testimony leads to amendments. It leads to sub, you know, committee subs and so on and so forth that make bills better and stronger and help to fix some of those unforeseen consequences that come, come up. But since there's really no mechanism for that this session, I do worry that we are racing through pieces of legislation that are not only um, ill-advised, but possibly ill-written as well. Help me help you. Help me help you. Another thing I wanted to thank you on that I loved, uh, you and Buddy issued a, um, a resolution condemning white supremacy after January 6th. Uh, I, I appreciate that coming up down there. I, as you know, I've been very scared for my friends that work in Frankfurt, uh, especially in early January. Um, do you think uh, any any changes at the Capitol are going to happen? Anything with guns or more security? Um, no, I don't think any changes are going to happen at the Capitol. And I'll tell you that that's really frustrating to me. You know, I am I am not aware of any you know even training that we've had. You know, I don't think we've done active training, active you know shooter training or anything along those lines. I tell you, you know. I look at the Capitol differently right now. I, I try to figure out my way out of rooms. I, you know, I, these are thoughts that I never thought I would have to be dealing with on a daily basis. You know, it is, it's there. I try not to be overwhelmed by it by any means, but I, you know, there is that power on the Capitol right now. It, there definitely is. And it's, it's alarming. You know, we are, I may not agree with a lot of what my colleagues do, but I tell you, I believe that the vast majority of us really came there from the from a, a space of service, I really do. You know, we may have very different belief systems. We may have very different ideas about legislation, but I also I also think there are very few who are there for personal gains. And the vast majority of legislators really are there from a place of service. We are a part time legislature. Um, this is not a glamorous, nor is it a high paying job. You know, we are most of us are juggling our real jobs, or, or the jobs that support our families, and that's what I mean by real. Um, the jobs that support our families with this job that's supposed to be part-time, but in order to do it well, it is absolutely not part-time. It is a full-time job as well. And so we're leaving our families. We're doing this work. We're putting ourselves up for public scrutiny constantly. Um, and we're all willing to make those sacrifices, but none of us should have to be willing to sacrifice our lives or our safety or our mental health, frankly, right. for this. So I would love to see us have a real frank conversation um, among ourselves as legislators to keep each other safe in that way. But, you know, there are still people in the Capitol who don't wear masks. There are still people in the Capitol who won't regularly wear a mask around the staff, the LRC staff that 
literally doing our jobs for us. You know, we're the ones who are out in front, but they're the ones who, I told you, they're the ones who write the policy. They're the ones who do the research for us. Like, and they, that's their daily job that supports their family. And they have to be in those committee rooms. And the fact that I have colleagues that won't wear a mask just as a sign of respect to them. You know, it all gives me great pause right now. It really does. I wish you guys could write a pro-life bill that would require masks. <laughs> it would be great. And, 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 you know, it's interesting that you said that you guys don't have any active shooter drills because for one, and we don't know if those are really helpful, but for two, our kids have to do this, right? I mean, I have a first grader that has to do active shooter drills um, because of the world we live in. And you aren't even getting exposure to that. So you're having to figure out your own pathway out. And so it's just interesting that, you know, a, a group of adults doesn't have the same training that we're giving kindergartners. And it actually got brought up by Nancy Pelosi, how she didn't know what to do, but because her staff is a generation that grew up in active shooter drills, they were on it. And that's part of the reason that the electoral votes got protected was because they didn't go into that traumatizing like panic mode they had been traumatized over and over and over again through these active shooter trainings through their academic career that gave them the ability to kick into well what's our goals and how do we get out and so I mean just horrifying on on, on so many different levels um, that you have to like, I often think like, I'm so glad Rachel's there. And then I get horrified for you of your safety and it's COVID and guns. I mean, it's the two things combined. Um, and, and we know, I mean, according to our federal officials, domestic terrorism is a major threat to us right now. Yeah. It's been an interesting first year. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. And let's just hope, I hope for you so much that it's a better next year. But the other thing that sucks about your oh, job is going to suck because you're going to have to get ready to run again. I was about to say the worst part about your job is that you had to run every two years. Well, first of all, let me just say, podcast where we tell you how much your life sucks. <laughs> also, I make more money than let me you. first tell you. <laughs> I'm gonna... <laughs> <laughs> let me, um, let me just tell you that I, I really love this job. So, um, you know, the stressors notwithstanding that we just spoke about, I really do. I love it. I'm a complete policy geek. I love the idea of this. I, you know, I, I do have a futurist mindset. So I love being able to do the work and to think a few steps ahead and to try and really think about what is going to be best for Kentucky down the line. Um, when, so you both know that I ran for state Senate first and the state senators have four-year terms and someone asked me right afterwards if I would ever consider running for state rep and I was like god they have to run every two years that sounds exhausting yeah. and then okay and then here I am Dennis Keene my predecessor and my friend when I kind of mentioned that to him he said you know what you actually kind of get into a rhythm and it just it's less jarring to you right. so the nice part is you know I basically run um three times in three years right and so I know where all my sign locations are. <laughs> I know who I, know. I, can, I can, you know, I found myself when I was knocking doors back in February before COVID, I knocked the door in Wilder and the woman answered the door and I said, I was here a year ago and it was raining and you had an Amazon package on your porch and I put it underneath this thing and left you a note. I hope you found that package. Like I remembered <laughs> being on her porch and she remembered that because it's, you know, you're just in this constant cycle. And because of that, I just, I feel really, really connected 
well, I did feel really, really connected to everyone in my district. Now, COVID notwithstanding, um, this past year has been a little harder. Um, you know, tomorrow, today's Wednesday, Friday is my first fish fry. Fish fries okay. were like my jam, right? I would go to all the fish fries and I would get to talk to so many people and it became really fun. It was like a reunion every year. I'd see the same folks and this year they're drive through fish fries, but at least I'll see the same po folks who are, you know, at the firehouse to doling things out or what have you. Um, but, you know, I think that's, that's the benefit to running every two years is you just feel that constant connection. Your name stays out there. People remember who you are. People feel, you know, they really do get the chance to know you. So I think they are, I hope more comfortable calling me, emailing me when they need me. And I hope that, you know, they, they know that I'm constantly out in the community. Well, and the nerdy political scientists will kick in and say, that's part of the reason we have a two-year term, right? Is because we do want you out there and to know you more and to get more exposure to you and having you accountable every two years uh, kind of gives us that ability to get access to you and to have a stronger voice or relationship with you. Um, but uh, I didn't think about the fact that, yeah, you've ran for three years. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. And then you got it, and it's like COVID and insurrection. You Every really time you run, it, the rolling bridge closes. <laughs> Representative Wheatley thinks I might, I might have cursed him. He's like, you came in and everything started falling apart. What's that you're doing? Like, no, I swear, I'm here to help put it back together. And whatever, it's not falling apart. I'm watching the bills you're introducing. This is awesome. I mean, we need this. We need this kind of energy. Because again, it, it has to be defeating to be in such a minority. And so to see you guys coming out swinging and not letting go of your values and not sitting back or leaning back and just letting what happens happens and even not getting caught up in the drama of what the Republicans are doing right now has been really impressive because I feel like you guys have been very disciplined and on point on the values that you ran on and the reason you got elected. And so kudos to you and the other Democrats in Frankfurt right now, because I really have been curious over the last year, what this session would look like with such a minority. And I, I really feared that there would be some leaning back and just like helplessness because you are in that state. But I think the points you've brought up of being proactive about well, maybe somebody, you know, on the other side will think this bill's cool in a couple of years and I got to have an impact on it or, you know, bringing up issues that constituents are bringing to you. Like when you mentioned House Bill 81, was it, is that right? 81. Um, mm -hmm. And, and the way that you're, you're continuing to push for your constituents, because that's really what representation is about. And it's so easy to get sucked into the politics, but I feel like the Democratic caucus is really, just nailing it. I mean, the, the bills that you guys introduced in terms of women's health and maternal health, yeah. and maternal health, I mean, things like that are needed to progress the state forward. And, and it really helps. I mean, it's in line with a lot of the pro-life movement, a lot of the things that we want. If we want people to feel supported and having babies, we need bills like that, that help support women. Um, in that time of need. And so I, I've just been super impressed. I'm not going to sit here and keep crushing and gushing about your guys's awesomeness, but you know, it, it, it's very important to continue to, to fight for these things. These are our values. And this is why we sent you there and you guys are doing it. You're nailing it, like knocking it out of the ballpark. It's not about, I always say being a Democrat in Kentucky requires you to come to terms with 
it's not about the end result. It's about the means to the end, right? It's about the journey. And we may not get what we want right when we want it, but you're, you're drawing the path and also setting an example of how to stay focused and how to stay on point and how to stay true to your values. And that's something I can't express how much I respect that, that attitude. Cause it's really defeating when you're not in Frankfurt. I'm defeated over here. I feel like there's no hope in the world, uh, but you guys are bringing that hope to us. There absolutely is. And I feel like I should let Missy interject something um, quippy and fun and bring me back down to my, my proper level here before I go on. But obsessed over did, you too. <laughs> um, there comes an, I'll tell you, you know, while there may not be a, a lot of people in Campbell County who have a D behind their name, or even in Kenton County, Missy, you have a D behind their name. Um, our issues and policies are moving people. You know, these, there, there is a medical marijuana bill going through the house right now. You know, I, that's, that tends to be more of a democratic policy that more Democrats across the country have been champions for than Republicans have been champions for. So that is moving. You, there are places we can see where even though our bills may not unfold in the time that we wish that they would unfold with our names attached to them, we are moving the dialogue towards a more forward thinking Kentucky. Uh, change is slow. It is absolutely slow and it can be infuriatingly slow sometimes, but we can control what we can control. And I'm really grateful that in this moment in time, I have this platform, I have um, the amazing support system, the amazing colleagues that I have in the Democratic Caucus. I mean, I would take the 24 of them over just about anybody. It's a, it's a wicked, smart, diverse, um, thoughtful caucus. Um, you know, so we, we're all there doing the work. We take great pride in doing the work. I will always be so grateful that during this moment of COVID, that I got to be of this level of service to my community. Um, and if, you know, if this was the end of my political career, which I hope it's not, I'd like to keep serving. Like I told you, I really like the job, but I will always know that in this moment in time, I was where I was supposed to be. And I did the level best job I could possibly do. And I take, a, you know, that brings me a lot of joy. It gets me through the hard days. Good. You deserve joy. Have you considered changing your party, uh, running as a Republican, picking up one of your older bills and then resubmitting it to committee? <laughs> Missy, I will do that when you actually get that wall built. <laughs> well, well, Rachel, we have a couple fun questions with you just to, to close things out. Okay. Um, actually, just mentioned your 24 uh, comrades and oh, which can't say comrades. God, you're going to call you socialist. Uh, 24 colleagues. I apologize. <laughs> apologize. Uh, so who are some of the up and coming legislators or activists in the area that we should be following? Who are we going to build our bench with? Um. Let me talk first about some of the people that I am uh, actively working with right now. So um, Sherilyn Stevenson and Pamela Stevenson, the Stevensons, um, they are both remarkable human beings. Sherilyn um, is from uh, Lexington. She's doing a whole lot of work. I'm, I'm bringing this up right now, Missy, partially because as we're recording this, I can see you and your dog Bogart is popping up behind you. And um, <laughs> Representative Sherilyn Stevenson has a whole bunch of humane society bills, animal protection bills going through right now. So people should know about those. Pamela Stevenson, Colonel Reverend Representative Pamela Stevenson is our newest member. She now occupies the seat that was previously occupied by Charles Booker. Um, Colonel Pam is a firecracker. She's a brilliant woman. She's such a great addition to our caucus. Um, so people should pay attention to her. Um, and then, you know, here regionally and locally, I think what needs to happen is the challenge needs to go out. I'll tell everybody here, 
I didn't have political aspirations. When I was growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio, I wasn't like, you know what I want to be when I grow up? A Democrat in Kentucky who tries to legalize marijuana. Like that thought just never <laughs> crossed my mind. <laughs> but, but I had always been an activist. And at a certain point, you need to stop and you need to say, you know, am I giving as much as I could be to my community? And if you have more bandwidth, if you can give more to your community, then it's a mitzvah. It's a duty that is performed with great joy. So if you are listening to this and you have political aspirations or you think that you can be of more service to your, to your community, the first thing to do is to reach out to your executive committee, your democratic executive committee in the county that you live in. I'm sure Crimson and Missy can both give you more information on that. If you are interested in running for office, there are some great incubator programs that you could go through. If you happen to be a woman, I would recommend either Emerge or the um, campaign school at Yale, which is where I went through. There are also local organizations that will help train you up to run for office. Um, and then also I think a group that gets left out is that we as candidates, we need help. We need people in this area who can be advisors to us, who can be campaign staff for us. So those are thankless and low or non-paying jobs, but they are vitally important. And if we really want more Democrats to win, we need to not only find great candidates, but we need to have the support system in place to make it as easy for those candidates to run as possible because being the candidate needs to be their full-time job. It's really hard to run for office when you are both the candidate and the campaign manager or when your spouse is. So we need people to get more, act, to get more involved at the executive committee level as um, staff for candidates and then obviously as candidates. Nice. What's your walkout song? Oh, Missy, why couldn't you give me a heads up on this one? Sorry. You know, you're, you got to be able to pivot. What are you, Amy <laughs> McGrath? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, we're never going to get oh. over this. <laughs> Missy. Well, now I have like the Top Gun theme song in my head because you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an awkward walkout song, though, because it's all slow. <laughs> I'm going to go with This Girl is on Fire, Alicia Keys. This girl is on fire. All right, I'm that's a good one. It's a really good one. Who is okay. your pop culture? Oh, go, Crimson. Would you like to ask a question? Oh, go for it. The, who is your pop culture crush? Who, um, Chrissy Teigen is pretty worthy of crushing on. She's got some pretty good social media game, and she's super, super funny. I gravitate towards anyone who's funny. So, um, Missy, I'll say you too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I told you guys, she's a lesbian tease. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Other than a house of cards, were there any TV shows that you binged during Corona? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I got really into all of those, like, like the great British baking show and stuff like that. Just, you know, mindless, happy things that at the end, like worst case scenario is a cupcake failed. You can fly a plane, can't you? Fly a plane. Imagine being able to fly Have a you plane had and not the, make a biscuit. Um, effect of like watching TV shows of people not masked and like, having like minor panic attacks about it is, is this like me only oh yeah no I have that and then you know I sit on the floor with 85 people and even though on the floor people are being really good about mask adherence it's still my nervous system is still screaming like too many people too small of a space get out so that is a, a you know a, a mental dialogue that I have going on most days that I'm in Frankfurt I could imagine and and you guys aren't essential workers or anything, right? You have to just wait for your normal age spot in the vaccine line. Um, as of you know, us taping this, I 
I don't believe that state employees have been added as essential yet. There are lots of legislators who are also um, attorneys or teachers or medical professionals who will have access or um, spiritual leaders who will have access to vaccines through those other avenues. But I, I don't think yet that um, being you know, a legislator is a reason. What about a yoga instructor? <laughs> or if we just think that you were like a god. <laughs> well, if I was a god, I wouldn't need the vaccine. it's true or so we think (laughs) all right so i'll give her the last one okay promote two local businesses as your favorites oh okay um i'm gonna go first and foremost with the crazy fox because i love terry and carl and it is the de facto democratic headquarters for northern kentucky so Crazy Fox Saloon, Newport, Kentucky, uh, LGBTQ headquarters, Democratic headquarters, great place. Go there. They're doing all the COVID stuff right. Grab yourself a drink. Stay socially distanced. Wear your mask. Um, And then let's jump over to Dayton, Kentucky. And I'll give a shout out to um, Galactic Fried Chicken, which has been uh, the key contributor to my COVID-15. Nice. <laughs> and it's, I've never heard of the place. That's a good shout out. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Is it so new? Good. It's been there for about a year. It's right next to Takari Nogal to the taco truck there. So you can go to either one. Both are phenomenal. Um yeah, Galactic Fried Chicken is a it's a it's a it's becoming a problem. It's just so good. <laughs> I'll have to Julie and Ben about it. <laughs> Your little district is really growing and becoming more adorable each day. I mean, between Newport, Bellevue, and Dayton, it is just, yeah. there are so many cute little mom and pop shops coming in and restaurants. And it just brings me back to like, I don't know what you would have expected in the fifties of Northern Kentucky, you know, of having those family owned businesses and entrepreneurship. Uh, yeah. So those are great shout outs. Hey, don't forget all the way down to Silver Grove too. You should go to Pelly's as well down there. That's a great, another mom and pop shop family owned place. It's been there forever. And then, you know, I also have Wilder and Highland Heights. We got some great small businesses in there and Southgate too. Yeah, no, we do. Thank you so much for coming on here. Is there anything else that you just want to shout out to people or? I'll just say to both of you ladies, thank you so much for doing this. I mean, I know I've spoken to each of you. I know we're all friends. I've spoken to each of you about, you know, the media coverage void for Northern Kentucky. I think all too often, Northern Kentucky is the redheaded stepchild of both Cincinnati and Kentucky. And as a a result, (laughs) you know, people don't have access to information. So more information is better, especially when it's, you know, like conversational like this and people understand we're all real people who are just having these conversations. We're all doing the very best we can on any given day, trying to do the best we can for our community. So Thank you for this platform. I know it's a ton of work on your parts. And um, while I know that the podcasting business is wildly lucrative and that's probably why you're doing it, I also think it's a little <laughs> bit of a sacrifice on your parts. So well, it's very much like being a representative. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's so lucrative. It's hard to resist the urge, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we love you and we're so grateful that you are in Frankfurt. We are sending good, healthy vibes your way and safety vibes your way. And make sure to send love to your entire caucus because we are so grateful for all of you guys. And keep kicking ass. Like, I love it. I'll do my best. Thank you, ladies. Stay well. Stay well, everybody. You should see me in the crowd. I'm gonna run this nothing to hell.